Hey everybody, Steve DeLaviaga, Rise Consulting. So excited about our Broker Brand Wars podcast. I have one, I've been looking forward to this for weeks. Now I have my brother on the phone, Mr. Chris Stewart on our Zoom. Christopher, how are you? I'm doing great, Steve. Good to be with you, brother. Now this is a great story. So Chris was with Intero, which is one of the largest, best brands in all of Northern California and California for that matter, for seven years. Then they get bought into Berkshire. Then he becomes part of the greatest brand maybe in the world, Berkshire Hathaway, last six. And then he leaves and shocks the real estate world by going to a company called Place. Now, Chris, Place is brand new, run by two, owned by two of the smartest guys in real estate, Benny Kinney and uh, Chris Suarez. But how do they bring over a hugely talent, lifer real estate guy who's been with the two biggest brands in the world? How does that happen to go to Place? Tell us the story. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, good to be with you, Steve, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. You know, I, you know, I guess common to all of us is <clears throat> we're sort of, um, you know, we're sort of ignited by that entrepreneurial fire. You know, I think that's what led so many of us to get into the real estate industry to begin with, and I'm certainly no different. You know, so um, you, you know, you have to admire what Ben and Chris and the team have created that was the genesis yes, of place, you know, that launched last year in 2020. And um, <clears throat> that was sort of, um, you know, that that was the, the starting point was just that entrepreneurial fire, you know, and then you get to meet those guys and you get to meet the extended team. You see what they've created and what they've already been able to build in such a short time. And looking at what I believe to be some pretty significant transformation uh, ahead of us in the real estate industry, I'm thinking, man, this could be a really transformative opportunity for me personally and, you know, and to be with an organization <clears throat> that I think could really contribute to that transformation in a significant way. I felt like this is the time. This is this is the opportunity. See, I feel like you and I have a kinship because we both work for really good Fortune 250 companies. Right. Was nothing. They were great. Loved being there. Still, I don't, I don't wear the jersey anymore, but like you, we all root for this. We root for that team, right? That Berkshire Fidelity team. But there is more change in this business in the last two and a half years than I saw in the previous 15 years. And I think people get success creates a complacency that sometimes people don't see because there's plenty of profit and everyone's winning. And so what we're doing must be working. But I've seen these skirmishes on the fringes getting bigger and louder and more successful. And people have missed some of that. And you were seeing the same thing in brokers, weren't you? Yeah, exactly. You know, and it reminds me a lot, Steve, of my time. You know, I started my career in the mid-90s in systems integration, enterprise technology. I was a global account executive for Oracle Corporation back in the late 90s, all the way through the boom and bust of the dot-com crash. Uh, all the way into the early 2000s. And, you know, what I would describe then that I see a lot now in our industry is a lot of companies are their solutions in search of problems that don't exist. And I see that a lot. You know, there's a lot of parallels to where we are as an industry right now. I think $30 billion in the last six, six years in, in venture, venture and debt and equity capital coming into our space. Um, and, you, and you look at a lot of the models and you look at a lot of what appears to maybe be disruption on the outside, but it really isn't. It's just new forms of old ideas and some in some way, new forms of old bad ideas. Um, Correct. 
But when I look at it, Steve, ultimately, and I said this four years ago, the greatest technology in the real estate industry right now is the real estate sales professional, the agent. But how many of these models really honor and celebrate that? How many are putting the agents into a better situation? How many of these models are looking to align their economic uh, agendas uh, so that the, the agent wins? And ultimately, if the agent wins, the consumer should win because fully 90% of all transactions are still represented by agents on both sides of the deal. So I think there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of confusion, and there's a lot of uh, complication unnecessarily on the part of these companies because they don't know who their customer is. And they're, they're simultaneously chasing a lot of rabbits, right? Who are their customers? The broker, the customer, the, the agent, the team, the consumer, the investor, the shareholder, right? There's all these constituents. And uh, the problem is a lot of these companies don't know who they're trying to serve as that primary audience. You're exactly right. And here's the other thing that's funny, right? Um, I love what Ben and Chris and you call this now. It's, you've heard of SaaS, software as a service. Now they went out and said, hey, we're broker agnostic. We don't care. We're a platform as a service. You can be at Keller Williams, Remax, Independent, whatever. And the truth is, Chris, as you and I know, the teams in this space are taking a unproportional larger market share than everybody else because you can't really run a business as a single agent. You can run a practice. You can help people when you have time and you can go like this, or you can run a business that actually has transaction coordination, administration, marketing, sales, support, post-closing opportunity, all of those things, business to practice are very different. And I love Ben and you and Chris, you set it up. So you are actually ready for businesses to bolt onto your platform. Talk about what Place does for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's, that's the perfect description, right? Platform as a service. And you see this evolution in other industries. You know, uh, when I was at Oracle, the group that went out and started salesforce.com, which is one of the largest software companies in the world, they did that while I was there. I mean, many of my friends went and, and have been a part of that journey. Well, that's really what that is. It's a platform as a service, and it's really a business utility, an operating system, if you will, that started its life as a CRM. That's where or, uh, Salesforce started 20 plus years ago. But now through the power of its community, through the integrity of its operations, through the depth of its skill set and domain expertise, it now has made its way throughout the commercial enterprise beyond just CRM and into virtually all of the tentacles of the customers that it serves and place, you know, desires to achieve basically the same objective, right? We recognize that there's all to your earlier description, all of these individual business flows, workflows, processes, philosophies, operating systems, if you will, that the top producing teams need to adopt, they need to implement, they need to continue to refine and innovate. And that's partly technology. It's partly workflow and business process. It's partly uh, automation and back office supporting as an example, accounting and legal and benefits and, and, and many, many things around those parts of the business. But ultimately, if we all can recognize and agree that most probably this trend of more and more of the industry's transaction volume going to fewer and fewer businesses within the- 100% is going to happen. Then the question is, 
who are those businesses, how do they operate, and most importantly, what operating systems and platforms are they plugging into to take advantage of this, you know, this, the, this future evolution, evolutionary trend that we're seeing right now. And that's right. where I place comes into to, to being. And this is important before getting to some of our deeper stuff, but what place is, if I'm a, if I'm an elite team, how do I join place? Do I, do I have to leave my brokerage? Can I just join up? What's the cost? Walk me through the model so people on the listening can understand. Yeah. So, um, I think the first thing is we are broker agnostic. So we don't want or expect or need any team that comes onto the place platform to leave where they are today. Um, because as we, we both know, there are a, there's a lot of value locally and regionally and perhaps nationally in the relationship that agents or teams have with their existing broker or brand. And we don't want to dilute that. We don't want to ignore that. And so we, we want to honor that. However, the question becomes, what are the objectives that I have in my business today as a team or aspiring team? And what challenges do I have relative to exceeding those objectives? And we're seeing a lot of ceilings, right? Maybe I'm struggling with attracting the right talent to my team. What talent do I need? What is that organizational design? What is the structure? What are the job descriptions? What are the compensation plans? As I scale up, how do I know who to identify how do I attract them into my organization? But then more importantly, how do I get them productive? Could be a showing agent, could be a transaction coordinator, could be a director of sales or director of operations. So at place, we've codified in a package all of the answers to those questions and done so on the back of, on the shoulders literally of the businesses that Ben and Chris and our extended team have been creating over the last 20 years. So this isn't something that we've just developed in a lab somewhere over the last several months and said, hey, go see if this works for you. This is tried and true. So this is actually factual. This is actually, these guys have done it and done it at the highest level. And they put that all in a box of market of the moment, best practice now, not what happened 20 years ago or 50 years ago or 30 years ago, but right now, correct? Yep, yep exactly, exactly. And so we're looking to identify Steve then as to who should join and how, how, how do they go about joining? What are those ceilings in your business? Again, is it size? Is it revenue? Is it net income? Is it growth beyond certain geographical boundaries that maybe you have? So what are those limitations, those ceilings? And then we look to identify the synergy, right? Is do, do we have today in the collection of services that we've packaged on platform, those things that we believe that we can help, help you crush through whatever those ceilings or limitations are today in your business. And then we're paid, Steve, here's the beautiful thing. We're paid completely as a function of our success together. It's a true partnership. So we look at sharing as a percentage of the profit after all expenses are paid. That's how, that's how the place platform partnership works with our expansion teams which is really a remarkable model because think about today, right? The teams that are experiencing these, these roadblocks, these limitations, they're paying a coaching organization X, they're paying technology vendors Y, they're paying marketers and lead gen and aggregator, top of the funnel folks Z. They're stumbling through all of the headaches of onboarding staff and onboarding new agents and all of the churn that's exhibited in, in, you know, just time and resource and identifying the wrong people, enabling the wrong job descriptions and comp plans. There's a lot of waste and all of those things, by the way, that's what we're seeing that are leading the teams to inquire with place to say, hey, is there a better way? 
has someone paid the dumb tax for me right so we've done all of that we've systematized and packaged all of that and and ultimately we want to drive a better net income so in other words a lot of teams right now what i'm seeing steve is they're generally speaking i'm seeing one of two scenarios either a teams that are basically bumping against the same gross commission income one and a half two million dollars they just can't get past it for any number of the reasons i've already described and within that their income is marginal maybe 10 15 maybe 20 percent at, at the very very best the other scenario i'm seeing is for those teams that are growing their top line they're actually chasing top line growth by expanding their expenses so in a lot of situations their expenses are actually below you know going up so their net income is eroding net income may be below 10 percent net operating income so in either scenario we want to bring them into our world really work through a consultative discovery process identify what these limitations are associate those limitations with what we have on platform today at place all of our operating systems and our community our technology etc and our and so what we're seeing real world results first of all a lot of our teams have doubled tripled quadrupled their production in the last couple of years and our average team is running at a 24 percent net, net operating income that's the average and steve i got to tell you just in the last several months as i dig into our financials i'm seeing teams that are doing two three four five hundred thousand in monthly gross commission income operating at 28 30 33 percent net op operating margin so they're driving half a million dollars in GCI top line and 25, 30, 33% net operating income because they've adopted all of what we provide on platform. And they well, didn't Chris, have the brokerage to, to achieve that. Smart. Do you, in doing that, do you, is it a set percentage? Do you take 25%, 40%? Is it vary by team? How does it work? We take half of the net operating income after all, after all expenses are paid. Right. And half of the new upside or half of what they're at today? The total, whatever the total is. Got it. Okay. So, so it's a it's a big, it's a big trust fall, right, Steve? Because yeah. we're putting all of this in, right? We're putting all of this work and all your work's on the front and, end. And, You're and doing resource. everything on the front end. Yeah. So if it's not a good partnership, right? If there's not an alignment, if they don't really see us as a partner to them, then it's for not because they're not going to trust. You know, we're, we're, we're advising how to attract talent, how to retain talent. Here's the compensation plans. Here's the commission model. Here's when you bring in a director of operations. And oh, by the way, these expenses, these five expenses that you've been tethered to for your last four or five years, you feel like these are sacred cows in your business, we're cutting them. They're not adding value to it. We have a better way. So it's a real trust fall, but the results speak for themselves. And here's my argument is, so you're at one and a half million in GCI today on a 10% net operating income. Isn't it worth it to get to two and a half percent, two and a half million GCI at a 28% net operating income? Yeah. But it's a trust yeah. fall. Absolutely. So how many total teams or agents do you have on the platform today at place? We've got 52 uh on on platform that are operating today with a really healthy pipeline of folks that we've just recently onboarded and haven't announced yet or we'll be preparing to onboard and announce soon got it and now let's talk about some things with talents with on the broker side right 
So you're doing this, you're broker agnostic, which I think is brilliant, gives you a very wide breadth. What about the all these, what I call interlopers, people coming in, trying to be public, uh, you know, trying to create employee statuses, the red fins, the open doors, the offer pads. The, the, where, where, do you, where do you see them in terms of mitigating some of this, you know, where agents will land in the future? Or do you see it not at all bothering groups like yourself? Yeah, I, you know, I think just like every every industry, Steve, there's always, you know, a significant amount of consolidation as the industry matures, as the players mature. I certainly see a world where, you know, the the future of the industry would have many, many few, much fewer agents, right? We've got 1.4 million, let's say right now. That could be cut in half. I see that vividly as a as a potential reality. Uh, within that, let's say 700,000 population, I think there's a uh, an audience of individual businesses, you know, business owners, these team leaders, these real CEO type people with employees beneath them. I think there's some rainmaker individual sole proprietor type agents who per perhaps exist at the real high end, the luxury uh, category, perhaps, and then a whole audience of employees. Uh, you know, and, and, I, and I look at some things that would impact that. Um, it could be partly regulatory. Perhaps some portion of our industry goes to an employee model because of regulations. Also, partly just due to the competitive nature. How, how many of these sole proprietor agents are going to be able to compete against the power and breadth and marketing skill and savvy of some of these big monolithic companies like Open Door and Zillow and Redfin? Um, and particularly when you look at the skill sets needed to really command uh, the, the consumer audience. So in other words, Redfin and, and Open Door and Zillow might command the top of the funnel in terms of impressions. But once the savvy consumers get engaged with people that don't have the skill and experience, how long do they stay associated with those transactions versus going over to the other side of the industry where, they're, where they know they're dealing with people that actually understand how to get deals done? So I think there's a lot of nuance in terms of how it evolves, but the fact that it will evolve is unquestioned in my mind. I love it. And I, I, you and I come from the same ilk here. Technology will never replace the realtor, but realtors and businesses using technology will, and that's happening every day. And I'll argue our real estate business owners, people that are running elite teams with lines of business, operate better than any large entity that I know of right? And the consumer experience is better served when you have an elite team who offers all of those things. Because let's be honest, and that consumer experience is going to require speed, transparency, options, because now there's more than one option, two options to liquidate a property, right? So yeah, you and I sit this. I think teams, are, I think you're going to see a amount of teams that will take an, an obnoxiously disproportionate amount of business from the single agent community over the next two to four years, uh, yeah. no doubt and about we, it. And we already saw that, you know, if you look at the real trends data, the thousand and America's best, um, you know, the team, the team uh, growth rate on a year over year basis was, you know, 50% or thereabouts in terms of volume and units and whatnot. And the individual agents and the top brokerage shares uh, only increased by single digits. So we're, we're already seeing that. So again, it goes back to my earlier statement, which is, the, then the companies in the in the industry need to be very clear on who their audience is, right? Who are their primary constituents? 
And, uh, and that's where I think a lot of the industry is going to get caught in the wash because they're not going to be clear and intentional and declarative about who their primary audience is, how they serve that audience, and how that audience service uh, attributes to the other elements of the industry, right? You, we can't be overly sensitive to shareholder value or overly sensitive to you know the economics in our ancillary business we got to be clear on you know who we're serving and what the you know outcomes or success you know measures of success look like isn't it funny and you and i both lived in that public world a long time it's sexy to say oh shareholder value which lots of times isn't best for the consumer it's not exactly. right lots of times oh ancillary business like it's just some easy ad revenue that lots of times isn't best for the consumer everybody forgets to serve the customer. I got news for you. You better take care of the customer. So in Place's case, you're crystal clear. Your customer is an elite team that wants to bolt onto a proven practice platform, regardless of brokerage, regardless of geo, doesn't matter where you are geography wise, you're an elite team. Is that, is that by saying that right? That's it, that's it. And we know there is not another company on the planet, Steve, that has the scope breadth and depth of what we have relative to making top producing teams and the CEOs of those teams operate better, more sustainably, more efficiently, and therefore more profitably. So then let me translate that into the next constituent audience for us, which is the consumer. So in other words, what we're looking at is how success will be measured by our teams is ultimately growth, sustainability, and profitability. How do we do that? Number one, we have to deliver a delightful consumer experience. So everything will be merchandised through our teams and their agents, right? But the, what we're delivering through them has to be number one, a delightful consumer experience. How will we measure that? And therefore objective number two is through our adoption and attachment rates. So we will continue to invest through place in all of the core specialty and household services such that our teams and their team members deliver on our first objective which is a delightful consumer experience and this goes back to you know my earlier statement around alignment how can any organization enterprise in the industry say that they're delivering a great consumer experience when only 25 30 percent best case of their consumers are using their mortgage product it's a it's it's a it's a non-starter. You're not going to deliver a great consumer experience when only a fraction of your consumers are using your in, important integral core services, right? And so that's why number one consumer experience objective is tightly coupled to number two, which is the adoption attachment rates. And number three is the enterprises that win will be those that understand how to measure and optimize their consumer acquisition costs. So a lot of these customer or these new companies into the industry, Steve, as you know, they are completely misguided on their consumer acquisition costs. Many of these companies don't amount to much more than just a new gimmicky advertising model. And they're willing to spend billions of dollars because public markets in terms of IPO public markets and private investors are willing to give them that money. And and we believe that the most sustainable models moving forward will understand consumer acquisition costs and understand how to optimize it. And, and so that's already something that, as an example, in our financial portfolio management for our teams, 
we're we're getting them to understand it they're tracking it meticulously and we're constantly driving it down so as we bolt in core service specialty service household services we know that that consumer acquisition cost just goes down and down and down and we by focusing on our teams we believe that that's the first pebble in the pond we will get to the other audiences and key constituencies in the form of the ripples that that pebble creates. So we'll satisfy the consumers, we'll satisfy our shareholders and enterprise value. And but but the tip of our spear is our great producing teams and the folks that run them. So let me ask you this. Do you really think brokerage matters in the end? Does it really matter where you hang your shingle? Isn't it all about the team? Or do you think brokers still has a place? Well, I think that for those brokers who have a you know a, a focus have, have had a focus traditionally on adding value to their agents creating the right environment locally creating a good culture they have a good name in the industry in other words they're 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 trying to lead and they're trying to do the best for the industry i think those brokers matter and will continue to matter because even if i'm an elite team working a local market, let's say for place, there's still a lot of value in me being tied to the other top producing agents in my marketplace, uh, particularly in, in environments where we're at right now where inventory is so constrained, as an example, um, you know, being connected to the local building community. So I think that, the, you know, for those brokers that are, you know, attempting and will continue to focus on providing that localized regional value, I think there's, you know, some some value and then also think about it the industry still requires legally steve this structural mm -hmm. broker, uh, you know requisite and so i think from that standpoint but you're right for a lot of these folks that have just kind of created these licensed warehouses I, it's going to be tough it's going to be tough to, for them to defend even the the most modest of of economic relationships right some flat fee per month or per transaction that's going to be challenged i think People are trying to go to this pay little, get little model. And the problem is you have to decide just what you said, who you're going to be, right? Uh, I go see by teams. I work with 495 of them, 495 teams. And the vast majority have better offices than their brokers have, run better businesses with better margins than the brokers has. In lots of cases, not all, there are some excellent brokers, but in lots of cases, uh, they're significantly more influential than their broker is. Yeah. And the broker is the least influential guy in the transaction, to be honest. So now you're looking at this future. All right. One thing you want everyone to know about place. If you were going to leave here and you say, I want one thing about it, what would be the one thing you'd want every elite team slash agent slash entity to know about place? That while, you know, perhaps your previous work experience, your previous success in the industry, your capacity to exceed the goals that you have for your business moving forward, perhaps your, um, you know, sentiment that you can do all of this on your own um, is well-founded and you can recognize that there are models out there that could be ahead of you. I'm not saying that they are, because I don't want to be presumptive or, you know, um, uh offend anyone's uh you know sensitivity or experience in the audience but i'm saying that people have been there and they've done it and 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 i think you owe it all to yourselves to consider 
that there are uh, potentially efficiencies that could be gained. You know, I, I call it the two plus two equals eight formula. But a lot of people just they 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 want to be the two. They're not looking for the plus two, and sometimes they can't even imagine that it might equal eight. But it does. And what I'm hearing amongst our customers, our place sales teams, who, by the way, in, in response to your earlier question, I should have said this, we only want to attract onto our platform those teams that are already doing a million GCI or 100 closed units. So I'm telling you of the more than four dozen operators that we have on platform, they already came onto platform, very successful, uh, you know, agents and entrepreneurs and, and, and success track records of their own. And to a person, most of them said, I wish I would have done it sooner. I wish I would have known what I didn't know sooner because I've really been banging my head against this ceiling much longer than I needed to. And that's the one thing that I want your audience to know. I love it. And Chris, this is important too. And you and I come from this world. On the very rare occasion that I find myself the smartest guy in the room, I get out of that room as fast as I can. There you go. The Great. very rare occasion, if I'm the biggest chip stack in the room, wrong room to be in. You want to be the littlest stack and the dumbest guy, because when that happens, that allows you for growth. And you know what I love about our lead teams? They're always like, what does better look like, Steve? How, what's better look like? Well, who's doing this better than me? Who's got the database manager figured out? Who's got the social piece figured out? Who's got the, you know, they're always, and it's funny when you think like that, that's where places like place, I think that mindset of, best in class engagement is going to get more and more. And I love that you're agnostic. You can, you can be a Keller Williams guy. You can be an EXP guy. You can be an independent guy and come into this fold. And what you, what's best about you, it's the only, in my opinion, true partnership model because you only share the actual outcome. You don't just get paid up front in the process. You're not paying rent. We're owning that building together and we're sharing, we're sharing the equity in that building every single year. Well yep. done. 